When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow underway. The Wednesday edition has arrived. Is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. I just... Primary uh, complaints Oh, my gosh. I did get it right. I put... uh, I I reposted the Outkick post, and I said, we are live on a Wednesday... But Hutton, in my mind, what are you saying? I was thinking it was Thursday because you leave me on Friday. I do. You won't be here, so I think of the weeks as the time that you and I are together. So I thought today was Thursday because this is the second to last day that I have Hutton in my life because he leaves after tomorrow. Chad, I already miss you. And now, but I got it right somehow. For in my mind, I was thinking Thursday, but I actually posted we are live on a Wednesday. Where are we live right now, Hutton? Twitter. We're right. live on uh, Facebook. Twitter, Facebook. But most importantly, we're live at the website. Outkick.com slash watch right. is where you can go. It's That's very right. simple. Uh, Outkick.com is where you go. You will see the watch tab. You click that, and it takes you to all the, the live streaming shows right here at Outkick, uh, including ours, 4 o'clock Eastern each and every day, is where you go. Outkick.com slash watch. It is that simple. And uh, everything is on demand, full shows, and more. Chad, uh, Clay Travis joins us coming up in about 40 minutes. Our fearless leader. We will be asking him about our, our story today with uh, Stephen A. Stephen A. Smith, uh, he knows the brand. And I, by and large, I like his content. I think he's always prepared. Um, he knows exactly what he's doing here as he joined Busting with the Boys. But obviously, the competitive drive, the why, every, you have literally everything. And in sports, when you're on a team, your goal is to win the Super Bowl or the NBA championship, all these different things. So you're competing against other teams. But also internally in the, the, on the team you're at, you're competing with the guys around you. And so ESPN comes in. You talked about 2 billion views. You talked about being the man number one for 12 years. And you see ESPN making a pivot to McAfee. Obviously great for the network. How do you, in your mindset, view a guy like McAfee who is extremely good at his job in a lot of ways is changing the course of mainstream media and all those things from a competitive standpoint and also as a a partner? I am an aberration in this regard. I love Pat McAfee. He's a man. Love him to death. Love him to death. I love his swag. I love the fact that he's an honest brother. He don't give a Let me let you know exactly where he stands. That's my kind of dude. That works for me. Now, is he as polished politically as me? Nope. Because he has no desire to be, number one. And number two, if we're being honest, he's white and I'm black. He didn't have to be. I had to be. So I get all of that. And I'm not knocking him for it. I get it. Pat McAfee is a sensational talent. And it would be stupid for me not to root for him because he's one of the pioneers in this business, just like Bill Simmons is, just like Joe Rogan is, and others. What they have done for themselves in the digital stratosphere speaks for itself. I'm new to this. I'm a baby. And he's talking about the streaming aspect and the YouTube, and uh, he's launched his own Stephen A. Smith show. Uh, He's certainly getting into that. 600,000 subscribers there. 
And a lot of his content is going there. We play a lot of content from the Stephen A. Smith show. Yeah. More so than first take on ESPN. And there's no coincidence that what Pat McAfee did and what he called out uh, management, top execs, uh, Norby Williamson at ESPN, there's no question that Stephen A. can do the exact same thing. And everyone knows now you're not going to be punished at the very top of the media hierarchy at ESPN. Chad, the, the line of, uh, I'm black, he's white. Well, now, from that angle, he's looking at the contract extension. He wants to be the highest paid at ESPN. He's made no uh, secret about that, even when he joined Clay Travis on uh, Clay's show. And this is, this is his brand. He's getting more discussion by bringing up Pat McAfee, which, by and large, he was complimenting him. Oh, yeah. And he knows that going down the McAfee lane is going to pit him versus ESPN as well. And that's exactly what he's doing because, again, his contract's coming up. He wants to do less. He wants to be paid more. And not just more, he wants to be the highest paid. And the new version of Stephen A. is Pat McAfee. It discusses being polished. By and large, he is. But as he was making the name of Stephen A., Stephen A. Smith, after being the columnist and working in print and, and working his way up and doing great things, doing exactly that. He was also known for being loud and obnoxious on first take. Was he not? Oh, of course. And that's exactly what McAfee shows of all course. about. Of course. Now, I, maybe I have a little bit of different uh, perspective on this. First off, uh, you're going to get clipped by shows like ours and others anytime you play the race card. Okay, yes. so, and Stephen A. Smith is a smart guy and understands this and knows it. So I think he knows. I think he's probably thinking us and Outkick and his buddy Clay Travis, who they've appeared on each other's podcast uh, talking about these things because he brought up the fact that McAfee's white, I'm black, I've got to be more political, or maybe he doesn't have to be as political as I do in order to, to get the job done. Here's the difference with this, and I took this a different way as to what Stephen A. Smith is saying. I'd love to get Stephen A. Smith on the show, and I can ask him yeah. what he meant by it because he was very complimentary of McAfee. And this is where I buy what Stephen A. Smith is saying, not because black and white, but because of where they were when each of them started. Stephen A. Smith comes from a writing background originally. He had to prove himself and leap off the screen as a television personality. If Stephen A. Smith in his first year at ESPN went on air and lit a torch to everyone at the company that's at the executive level and started calling out ESPN executives by name, I don't think it would have gone over well. Now, if Stephen A. Smith today decided to do that because of his power, he could probably get away with it. Had he done it four or five years into his ESPN tenure and he claimed that it's going to be racist if they do anything to me, yeah. he probably would have gotten away with it because we've seen that card played a number of times too. I didn't take this though as, oh, well, he's white, so he got where he is because he's white and I'm black and I got to work harder and do these things. I took it Hutton as Pat McAfee came into a situation where he was already a superstar digitally. He had already made his following. He had done it on his own. He didn't necessarily need ESPN when he came to ESPN. Stephen A. Smith needed ESPN to make him a star, and they did. And he did it for himself also. I'm not yeah. denying his talent and what he did for ESPN. He's done a lot. 
But point being, McAfee kind of comes in with this, I don't give a bleep. I don't care. I've already made a ton, ton of money. I can go sign a deal with someone else and make a lot of money. We've got a lot of people watching online already. I don't really need ESPN. So I'm an honest guy, and if I feel like Norby Williamson is effing with our show because he didn't like us and didn't want to hire us, I'm going to call him out by name. Because who cares? What's the worst that can happen? They're going to try to fire me? They're going to kick me off a of game day? I'm the, most, I'm the most fascinating thing on game day right now for ESPN. I think he just has a I-don't-give-a-bleep attitude when he came in, and that's different from Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith notes that he's talented, notes that he really likes him, likes his honesty, but yeah, Stephen A. Smith, when he got to ESPN, had to play a different political game. He had to get in good with his bosses. He had to get the bosses on his side. He had to play politics a lot more than McAfee. I don't think that's a black-white thing as much as a station-in-career thing as both of them arrived at ESPN at different points in their career. Well, it used to be a, a, a right-left thing. Just ask Sage Steele. That, that's true. Versus Jalen Rose. Yeah. Right? And so that's... That's absolutely accurate. Especially with John Skipper when he was in charge. Sure. Uh, there well, were big issues and, there. And look at the look at the behind the scenes uh payments being made. You know, that yeah. coming to uh you know, coming to some agreement uh in the court system. Um Chad, you mentioned they don't they needed ESPN. Um well Stephen A coming. Now ESPN needs both of them. And the action or the lack thereof in response to that whole saga with McAfee and Williamson and execs and the college football playoff and all that. Uh, the fact that they did nothing but just say that we're going to keep everything in-house uh, tells you how much they need Pat McAfee. It also will tell you how much they need Stephen A. when they acquiesce to what he's going to ask for. I don't think there's any question he's going to end up being the highest paid. Yeah, they're two of the most powerful talents. Uh, Stephen A., I'd, I'd argued first, McAfee probably behind them, but two of the most the, two of the most powerful talents currently at ESPN. And I'd also argue that I don't know if ratings truly matter for Pat McAfee because ratings have not been good of his show on linear TV. Yes. And Stephen A. Smith can tout the fact that I'm giving you a huge audience when I sign off on first take and you take that audience and it diminishes big time, diminishes uh, more than the sports center that aired after before you took over as Bill Simmons, now that they're feuding, Bill Simmons and Pat McAfee. Bill Simmons, the sports guy, pointed out that the Sports Center was doing better with television ratings. But, Hutton, I don't think ultimately that Pat McAfee is being judged by TV ratings other than college game day when he appears on that. This was a move to bolster ESPN digitally and what they do with that part of their company because Pat McAfee brought such a digital presence already when he came over to ESPN. So Stephen A. now on YouTube, 567,000 subscribers. And here is the Stephen A. Smith Show description. Uh, again, not on ESPN. Stephen A. Smith Show, Smith gives you his uh, renowned point of view, breaking barriers beyond the world of sports and tackling issues across entertainment, pop culture, society, business, and politics. Three times a week, you'll hear his live unfiltered opinions on the day's biggest headlines as well as straight-shooting interviews with top celebrities, game-changers, and thought leaders across society. Now, that's the next level for him. And you better believe ESPN wants to tap into that because they're doing yeah. that with Pat McAfee. Well, and, that, and that's, yeah, that you could uh, take that but all, description and put it underneath Pat McAfee and just but, replace Stephen A. Smith with Pat McAfee. And that's kind of what Pat McAfee's yeah. show is doing with uh, a little bit more of a mix of camaraderie 
because it's kind of just a That's group of vibe. dudes yeah. talking about everything. But that everything. goes back to what uh, Stephen A. just said about the the difference between the two. Yeah. Right. But but here he's he's riffing on whatever he wants to discuss, and on first take it's kind of the same vibe where he's got someone across the table from, him and it's more of a point counterpoint, right? Yeah. And this is where he's think about how often we've discussed him and played clips from Stephen A. And is it from first take or is it from this YouTube show? It's from YouTube. And that's on purpose. Yeah. He's saying a lot more there. I also think that the goals of, uh, of each guy are a little bit different and, and, I say that knowing that Pat McAfee is a natural showman. Like, he wants to be the show. He wants to be the center of attention. And he's a great entertainer when it comes to that. But I do believe that Pat McAfee wants the show to be the star. When he's doing the Pat McAfee show, he does want to highlight his supporting cast. He wants guests on. He wants sure. the guests to be very good. He's a very good distributor. They they play well off of each other. Him and his crew of guys mixed with the guests they bring in, mixed with celebrity guests. Stephen A. Smith very much wants to be the star. He is the star. He wants to be the star. He wants that to be about him. Um, I, I would compare him to Clay Travis in that way, right? That description you just read about okay. YouTube, I mean, Clay could probably say Stephen A. Smith is ripping him off because there are some words there that when Clay founded OutKick would have been the same description of OutKick, Right in what they're trying to accomplish. But they're two superstar media members that are very good about just being themselves on camera and on yeah. mic, and they want it to be about them. I don't think Clay's is interested in interviewing other guests or interviewing people as much as he is, is getting his opinion out there. I think Stephen A. Smith is the same way. I think McAfee's a mix of all that. He wants his buddies to be involved. He wants the show to be the star. He wants to interview people. The dude's also a professional wrestling background guy. Like, he knows how to be the show and be the center of attention. Yeah, but think about Stephen A. from this, this angle. Um, uh, Kenny Smith. We've been discussing him from the weekend with Reggie Miller. It was Stephen A. and Kenny Smith. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... And that didn't happen on TNT. Right. No, he, he, did, a, he did a good job with but, that. And but I think what I'm saying, his, like, he knows, he knows his brand, and it's not... Just first take. And the timing of this is also yeah. not coincidental. Well, the point is, he understands that when he's on ESPN, it is sports take Stephen A. Smith. But there's an opportunity to expand to other markets. And uh, that's not different from Clay. That, that's not different from a lot of people. I, I, Pat McAfee does some pop culture stuff, but it's mainly about sports on his show all the time. I think Stephen A. Smith sees an opportunity here and what's for the, his personality to cross over into other genres. And what's that value to ESPN? You know what I mean? I would say it's large, but I, I, I think I think in an in an evolving yes. ecosphere of sports. It's, it's the We're gonna model. get into this about competition yeah. also and how competition raises a lot of different stakes and, and makes everything better. I mean, I again I think when Pat McAfee goes out and says Norby Williamson is a rat on his show. That is also Pat McAfee saying, fire me, fools, if you want. I don't care. Yeah. You told me I, I could be myself. This is me. I'm being me. And if you're going to F with me, I'm going to call it out on my show, and it's going to be a story. And if you don't like it, I'll go cut another deal with FanDuel, and I'll make millions doing <laughs> yeah. that, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of his mentality. I think Stephen A. Smith. And he owns his YouTube platform. I mean, look, ESPN helps Stephen A. Smith a lot in his platform, but – 
there may come a day where Stephen A. Smith isn't going to get what he wants from ESPN, and he decides, I'll, I'll make a go of it elsewhere. I'll do something different if the brand isn't right for him. Chad, I think uh, do something elsewhere if uh, the money's not right for us is exactly what the Big Ten and the SEC are saying today. Uh, meeting in Dallas, the college football playoff. Uh, that Anyone that has anything to say or do with the college football playoff has been meeting. Yesterday, we had the uh, announcement that was inevitable, the 5-7 model, which is what Greg Sankey has wanted but received backlash for, even after we saw uh, the Pac-12 begin to dissolve, right? Uh, I'm curious how everyone went the opposite angle. You had to have a unanimous vote. They got that. And the 5-7 model will have the top four conference champions, uh, the conference champions plus you'll have the uh, non-power five, the group of five, highest ranked team that will be automatic qualifiers. And then you have seven at-large teams get into the college football playoff. This benefits in a great deal the Big Ten and the SEC, who in some years could get three to four teams in the final field of 12. And when you just, uh, just think about the increased profile where we have the expansion now for the Big Ten and the SEC with the new teams coming in officially this upcoming season, and the partnership that they have formed to discuss NIL, Transfer Portal, and more. Uh, I don't know how much partnership will be involved whenever it's down to that final spot for the playoff committee, but there are definitely the haves and the have-nots. And what they're discussing today is the revenue distribution. Because typically, and in the past, the Power Five, they've received about 80% of the money from the college football playoff, and the Group of Five, they receive about 20 But there's new money coming in with the report that ESPN's about to pay $1.3 billion annually to extend their contract to the, the next six years of this format. But the 5-7 format is only going through the next two. Do we see the expansion to 16? That will be the next level. And what they're going to do is flex and say, hey, you guys don't want to expand to 16? We'll go do our own thing. Because everybody's got to have the Big Ten and the SEC. This helps the ACC because they're guaranteed to get a team in now. They're not going to be left out. And it certainly would help the group of five because they're a part of the revenue distribution of this. But we're about... It, Florida State and Clemson, they want more of the pie in the ACC. The Big Ten and the SEC are going to ask for more of the pie of this revenue distribution now that they're going to have more say, and they've had more say, more teams involved in everything to do with the 12 right now. And consider what's going to happen on the back end of this, where if you look at last year, just the final college football playoff rankings, here's what it looked like, Chad, uh, if, if it was a 12-team and not the four-team, where you have the teams at the top, Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama. But Liberty is the automatic from the group of five. They would be the 12 seed. They're the highest-ranked group of five team in the college football playoff rankings. And you have your matchups. Georgia would be hosting Ole Miss. Penn State on the road against Ohio State. Liberty takes on Florida State, who gets in. And Missouri hits the road to Oregon. I've got questions about this, though. Because beyond the money, what's left here? You have a partnership between the Big Ten and the SEC. I don't think it applies here. There will be a great rivalry that will continue. The rankings really won't be the rankings either to me. Because if you look at the top 25, 
from last year. It's also about matchups in round one. So are you going to see a rematch on a college campus after maybe we've just seen it? Or does the committee actually change the rankings a bit to fit the format that ESPN is going to want? For instance, Oregon was facing Missouri, but Georgia was taking on Ole Miss. This year, that would be a rematch. Ole Miss will host Georgia this year in Oxford. Does the committee then maybe flip-flop things to where you send Ole Miss on the road to, say, Oregon, and then you end up having a potential matchup of, instead of Liberty and Florida State, maybe it's Liberty against Georgia. Again, just thinking out loud how they're going to mess with the rankings. Rivalry weekends are going to be impacted, yes, but I think it could also impact the 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 maybe the first impression, maybe the last impression in some cases that the committee may have. More SEC and Big Ten on the back end and the job statuses. What this means for James Franklin. What does this mean for Lane Kiffin? For Josh Heupel, for Dabo Sweeney, uh, Scott Satterfield, Brent Venables, Brian Kelly. These dudes are going to be judged now on getting in and it really comes down to Venables, uh, excuse me, Satterfield, for instance, is now going head-to-head at Cincinnati against a team like LSU or an Oklahoma team that maybe has dropped two or three games in the regular season. The last teams considered last year, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, LSU, Arizona, Louisville, Notre Dame, Iowa, and NC State. Notre Dame is guaranteed to have to play in round one no matter what, based on this format. They said they would do it, gladly. Put Marcus Freeman at the top of the list along with James Franklin that need to make this new format, especially with the 5-7 model and not the 6-6 because now you have a greater chance of getting in at the at-large and you otherwise didn't. And we're going to see coaches fired and the top two conferences become even wealthier based on the new format because they got what they wanted and they always will now because they're going to flex and say, we'll break off and do our own thing if you guys don't want to join us. I can't help but look at this, and I look at Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty yep. as a part of this. And I think uh, this is just a temporary thing because Liberty ain't going to be a part of whatever's coming to college football. They're just not. None of the group of five will if the inevitable ends up taking shape. So I still feel like this is a good thing right now, and it's a bridge to yes. whatever's coming from a Big Ten SEC Super PAC alliance, whatever we want to call it. Now, in terms of for job security, James Franklin at Penn State, a good example. I just think the target now will shift. So James Franklin, based on what he's accomplished, will pretty routinely make a field of 12 in a playoff. And he will also routinely lose in his first game of the playoff every year. So now suddenly it will be James Franklin can't win a playoff game. Now uh, I'll look at Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Suddenly, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, the expectation is you get to that playoff, right? It's not Right now, It's not the expectation is not win the SEC when you have Georgia there and you had Alabama there and others, right? Yes. But it's compete for the SEC. But if not, you better damn well be in that 12-team playoff. And if you're not, then you end up getting fired because you're finishing 16-20 to 20 every year, yes. right? That does, then now that's not enough. So I, I think for some, it will help with job security. You mentioned... Marcus Freeman, a good example at Notre Dame. I think getting in would probably be enough. I think with Penn State, if it just continued to be the same old thing, but it now the season ends with a loss uh, in the playoff as opposed to a loss 
in a non uh, New Year's Six again. bowl game, put the matchups. Then back they're up. still going to be unhappy at Penn State, and eventually they'll move on from James Franklin. Yeah, because look who Penn State's matched up with in the hypothetical last year round one. Uh, they're against Ohio State. Yeah, they're getting their ass kicked in Columbus. But, but that, I, that's likely what's going to happen. And Ohio State's coming off a loss to Michigan. Yeah. You know, so what does that mean for Ryan Day? You know, it, right. It, all of this is fascinating, but I also wonder. Do they want to have a rematch in round one on campus? Or do they want different matchups? Yeah, NCAA tournament model. Yes. You know, NCAA tournament has rules to avoid getting a conference foe that you've already played in round two. Much less it's never going to happen in round one. Yep. So they can toggle the system. And likely, they're never going to admit to this, but they can toggle the seed line if they want to manipulate it to get the matchups that they ultimately want. Right? That That's... Yeah, I mean, I think you're on to something there. The committee is going to find a way to get the most compelling matchups for television while also avoiding repeats of other games. It's not always going to happen. You're, you're going to have repeats regardless. Even when they try to avoid some, you might get another one. But yeah, they're going to do whatever they can to try to make it the most compelling television product as possible. And I also, you know, if, if the ACC, for instance, based on the way Florida State finished unbeaten, right? Uh, in the regular season. Do they actually get the buy now? And they do they actually end up as the highest ranked conference champ? I think so because they'd rather see Alabama and, in an extra game. Because they're guaranteed because the Pac-12 is no longer existing. Yeah. And you've got the Washington who got the buy, but you also have Bama and Texas who were ranked ahead of Florida State. I'm I'm intrigued by the committee just because if you move the seeds around, Chad, you also affect the teams that get the bye and who is matched up with the next round. So you could actually have a better team right. facing I, the one or two seed. I like this format. I love this. This is yeah. the one that makes the most sense. And I, think, I think Greg Sankey, when it comes to big picture stuff like this, and I do think he's leading the charge, Yes, along with Tony Petiti, but I think if I'm looking at Alpha A, Alpha B, Greg Sankey of the SEC is Alpha A in this scenario. He's yes. very good at making common sense decisions that most sane people can look up at and say, boy, that makes a lot of sense for college football. This playoff format, the seedings we saw, everything with it, makes a lot of sense for college football. My biggest question mark is, does this make sense for college football 10 years from now when it's clearly haves and have-nots? And I'm not talking about haves having a chance to compete for championships and have-nots not having a chance. I'm talking about the haves competing at all. Versus the have-nots playing in a different classification and doing something different. It's, it's all headed to me towards more of an NFL model. And this, this is a, a very NFL playoff situation, albeit with more buys, sure. with percentage of the teams playing, but that's where it's all headed. And final point, ESPN is going to have a big say in the 16 uh, conclusion. We're going to have 16 teams. Why? Because a part of this reported deal for the extension and the $1.6 billion annually for, for the college football playoff, they can now sell off games to other media companies. You know, you can, you can have Amazon come in and buy a game. Um, you can have you know, anyone, Netflix, yeah. whoever you want. They're going to want more inventory because of that. And there's no question that Sankey Petiti wants 16. So we're, we're headed towards 16. And the question is, is everyone going to follow and take less of the percentage or maybe the same, but Big Ten and SEC get more? Or are you going to actually call the bluff and say, go ahead and, and you know, split, split off? They won't do that. 
They will not do that because everyone needs the, the life support. They need the uh, parachute that this will provide. And so does ESPN. I, I think they when need more inventory Big to Ten, sell it off. When Big Ten and SEC, when they all start to collectively bargain with the other, uh, you know, I put in air quotes, power five, power four, I yeah, guess now yeah, conferences. Right. When they start to negotiate with them and those two conference commissioners demand more of a bigger piece of the pie and more money, it's going to cause dissension. And it's going to lead to Tony Petiti and Greg Sankey just saying, okay, then we're starting our own thing. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get back well, with you on whether or not we're going to invite you that's to on, play in our league or not. That's on the docket today in Dallas. Yeah, we'll get back to you individual schools, not conferences, and we'll cherry-pick the ones that we want to come play ball with us in the NFL of college football. Chad, we're talking money, big money for football. American commerce, not conference, but commerce is on your mind. We, we go one trip to Vegas for the Super Bowl, and Hunt and I are so, suddenly, you know, we have VIP. We win ex- so much. VIP bottle service one time one in time. Vegas, and suddenly we're experts on, on big money. We know everything about it. By the way, Beyonce and Jay-Z just yeah. bought a mansion in Malibu. You know what the price tag on that puppy was? $200 million they spent. $200 million, 20% of a bill they spent on their mansion in Malibu. Anyways, I, I, don't, know where I, was, for I don't know where I was going with that. Who joins us in 10. Let me try to segue this. So Jay-Z once had a competition in the rap game. That competition elevated Jay-Z to be a better rapper and a better businessman. I don't yeah. know what Beyonce's competition was other than the other girls in Destiny's Child and maybe her dad, who was also the manager. But yeah. that competition made Beyonce Queen B, made her Queen Bay, made her better, right? She got better because of that. Competition brings out the best in us. America and American commerce is built on competition. It is not built on monopolies. It is not built on antitrust. It is not built on all the titans of industry coming together and deciding, here is how we're going to manipulate the public and make a bunch of money together. It is Coke versus Pepsi. It is McDonald's versus Burger King. It is AFL versus NFL that led to a merger and made America's game that much better. It's ABC versus CBS. Oh, but wait, is it? Is it ABC versus CBS? Because last I checked, Paramount owns CBS and Disney owns ABC. And now we've got this conglomerate of Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers getting together. I say this as a Fox employee, okay? These types of situations and these agreements, while as a consumer of media, I initially see this new sports package of Disney, Fox, Warner Brothers teaming up, And I think to myself as a consumer, this is awesome because this is going to streamline things and make it easier on me, the consumer. I can now pay for one service instead of four or five and get most every sporting event I want to watch right there on that direct-to-consumer platform. That can be good for the consumer. I also say, as an astute historian, especially of American history, that buyer beware. Because there are implications here for employees of all of these companies and eventually for the consumer that could be damning, that we don't know about yet. We're going to talk to Clay Travis about just this. Because initially I think this is going to make it easier on the consumer. But when I really think about it, I also think, what does this mean for employees of these companies and the future 
of actual competition in media, and will that even exist if all of the titans of media decide to band together and form a, monop- a monopoly? Fubo TV has decided this is not right, and it's not legal. And they filed a lawsuit claiming anti- or Sherman antitrust violations with this pact. We'll see where this goes. Uh, we're going to have some of the most high-priced attorneys in the world fighting this on behalf of, of Disney, Fox, Warner Brothers. So we'll see where all this goes next. But Hutton, I, I, I can't tell the future. I'm not going to claim that I can. I, I just want to say that while at first glance, I think this is a good thing for the consumer, and I want to see how all this plays out, I also will just lend a cautionary tale about what this could eventually mean when you start having companies this large teaming together and what that means for competition in commerce in America. So uh, it, what you're asking for is the Teddy Roosevelt 1901 uh, the, trying to get rid the, of the uh, uh, trust busters with uh, Roosevelt, uh, or excuse me, with, uh, yeah, with uh, Carnegie. And, he was breaking up all the trusts, right? There's yeah. the trust busting that was going on. And Rockefeller. Then. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt is maybe my favorite well, president, so me, this would make sense that I'm leery about this. this. Way. Do these partnerships, uh, is it necessary in order to actually compete with Netflix if you want to get in the space? ESPN wants to get in the space of direct-to-consumer. They're partnering with the NFL. The NFL wanted to partner with ESPN because they didn't have the NFL media platform necessary to push that distribution that they wanted to do. They needed someone else to help them. They've admitted that. Is all of this due to Netflix now flirting with the idea of live sports? Well, I don't think it's about Netflix as much as, uh, honestly, like Netflix is its own, its own cylinder. Netflix and Amazon. Of all this. It, well, it's Amazon and Apple. Apple. Amazon but, and Apple can do whatever they want because they have more money than all of those others combined. Even Netflix. But, but if so you had Netflix the three big the, ones get in, what well, happens to everyone else? I mean, that's, that's on them to decide. Now, and there's going to be antitrust here also with these, and, and don't get me started on big tech. Uh, we could spend four hours on Apple and Amazon and the dangers sure. of our world uh, with those two behemoths just pulling the strings on all of us and everything and every election and all things going on at all times. Right. I'm very concerned about that, but that's a, a, a separate show. But Apple and Amazon, when they decide they want to go all in on sports, which they have not yet, but if they decide that, yeah, it's going to be a problem for everyone else. Netflix hasn't done much with live sports at all. You know, they've got sports documentary series. They've done things. Netflix, I give full marks to because they were out in front of streaming, and they've done it better than the other ones. They've actually succeeded in what I started out saying, competition. This was a company from the ground up that was nothing that Ted Sarandos turned into a giant of media. That is the damn American dream is what Netflix is doing right now. I love it. And they've just been better at everyone else. And all these big companies tried to get in the game, and they were too late. And they were bad at it. Quite frankly, Disney's been terrible with their product. They've been bad at streaming. So now this is a bailout for them, right? This is them going with other ones saying, hey, we have these sports properties, so let's team up and let's get with people that maybe between the three of us we can figure out how to do it right the way Netflix did originally. But keep in mind, Netflix is paying $5 billion for WWE now for Monday Night Raw. Yeah. That's, that's a sign that they're also investing in this live streaming aspect. And, I mean, what we just had an announcement uh, today about the price tag for another NFL-exclusive playoff game, I believe. I'm looking up the text that I received uh, today earlier. Um, it's, it's in the millions for one game, for an exclusive playoff game. Well, look, if Prime, Amazon, and Netflix team up, 
and so, decide they're going to team all their sports together, I'm going to be uh, standing on this chair also saying a lot worse things about what's going on. I'm not going to like that either. They haven't teamed up yet. Amazon they're Prime, doing their own thing separately. Amazon Prime is going to pay $120 million to stream its first NFL playoff game next year. Yeah. There well, you, and I'm interested to see what Black comes Friday. of of the NFL combing through contracts, trying to figure out if they're Me being too. had in this whole thing with this. I, I'm telling you, there are – again, I think initially it's going to be good for the consumer, but it worries me know, if I've, other I've, companies start to team up because – and I just threw out the example. What if Amazon and Apple decided, hey, we're going to have every sporting event. We're going to have every sporting property. Let's team up. We're going to have our own joint deal with Netflix. We'll let Netflix in on it too. Um, that's a problem. I think we look at Disney because they're behind in streaming, and we look at Fox because they're not the streamer that Netflix and these others are, and we look at uh, the Warner Brothers part of it and think, okay, we're more okay with this because they own sporting properties, but it's not Netflix, Prime Video, or Apple, so let's let them team up. I'm, I'm very curious to see how all this plays out and well, how this lawsuit works out. Well, and ESPN has said uh, through Disney, hey, we're going to invest in one thing, football. Football, football, football. NFL and the college football playoff, which they now have the rights to the most important, the true important games of the calendar year in college football. And they can now sell them individually. Yeah. Um, they don't, the NFL is looking at this thinking, we don't want to set up a model like this. We want to continue to have people pay $120 million for one game to stream it live on Amazon. Absolutely. Live, you know, and that, so that's why they're looking into the, uh, the details, trying to find a loophole, uh, loopholes with the contracts with everyone that is a part of this. Everyone's looking for survival. They want a piece of the pie. I feel like it wouldn't be that hard to find whatever the loophole is, allegedly. I'm, I know. Because these companies' lawyers would have already figured that out before the merger. And if they planned on putting something on there, they would just simply tell the NFL's attorneys, yeah. hey, it's section 14-8 that it says this and it's very vague. We're going to exercise that clause and we're going to put this on this direct-to-consumer platform. When you have Peacock and Paramount Plus, right? Yeah. And uh, Peacock's already paying for an exclusive game. Well, now if you tell me that they're going to come back and like comb through every other part of the contract to see if it voids out with some other yeah. language in it, okay, I could buy that. But I think it'd be pretty easy to find where it is because their attorneys are going to be the one telling you. I'm talking about Fox, Warner Brothers, Disney yeah. would be the one saying, this is where we have you, and now we're going to put our NFL games here. Coming up, Clay Travis joins us. We'll ask Clay about it. That's next on Hot Mike. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sixth and Peabody are located with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. It's Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here at Outkick.com. Outkick.com slash watch where you can see all of the live streaming programs and more. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel for uh, things on demand, clips, and more. Outkick the show with Clay Travis, for instance, who joins us now, the fearless leader. And, well, Chad, the, uh, the bottle service man. 
as you referenced the, in the uh, first. Uh, the, uh, we're we're, we're first suddenly segment. experts on big business and big money after one night we're with much, bottle service. Much smarter. It's, it's amazing. Uh, Clay, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. What it's done for us. Doing well. You know, um, we didn't drink all those bottles. Um, <laughs> we did not. Laura dropped. Laura dropped a bunch of those bottles off that we didn't finish, but I certainly paid for uh, at Todd <laughs> Furman's house. Oh, uh, really? Oh, very my gosh. Funny. The man who left early gets the reward. I'm going to text Furman. I want a well, photo of the leftover bottles. Uh, that's where it's, where it's uh, sitting uh, in his I, house now. It, he has got the ability to throw a very high-end party um, courtesy of the, uh, of the bottles that Laura dropped off. I love um, that that were not polished off, but were required to be purchased. So, uh, so yeah, Furman was the net beneficiary. His wife, Nicole also, by the way, fantastic. So she was with us, uh, one of those nights. Um, but, uh, but their, their household has, uh, has received, uh, the, the leftovers from those bottles. Clay, I wanted to start with this cause we just had a big discussion uh, on it. Uh, Fubo TV, um, suing for Sherman antitrust law with Fox Warner brothers, and Disney and this direct-to-consumer sports platform that's being attempted to launch. I, I distinctly remember you tweeting when this came out. You said, this is interesting, reading about it. The devil's in the details here. And while my initial reaction is this is great for me as a consumer, I feel like, because I can go to one less spot, maybe three less spots, to get the live sports that I want, there are bigger implications involved with this, and I guess that's what Fubo TV is arguing. What do you make of this? So I've been arguing for years, and I think I've been proven true, that the demise of the cable and satellite bundle was going to stink for sports fans. And I think many people are going to look back um, into the you know early 2000s and say, boy, we had it so good then, and now everything kind of stinks. And what I mean is just, and I get it that I'm kind of becoming a grumpy old man. I want to be able to sit down in front of my television, and I want to have one remote control, and I want to be able to find every sporting event that I could ever want to watch on that one remote control through one service. And um, I think what we're headed towards is probably going to end up being maybe three or four streaming services that have everything. And I hope eventually we're going to circle back around to, you know, all these streaming services are eventually going to offer themselves as a part of a bundle. And we're basically going to have the cable and satellite bundle again. The problem is we're going to have to pay a lot more money. Um, And I think that's the inevitable destination where this is all headed. And I, I said on my show at Outkick earlier, and I've written this before, but if I were betting, I think that somebody will buy Disney slash ESPN or just ESPN. I think that somebody will buy Fox Sports. I think that somebody will buy CBS Sports. And I think that somehow or other NBC Sports will end up owned as well. And I tend to think that that's going to be within the streaming universe. Um, I think one of my predictions for 2024 was that Apple buys Disney. Um, I could see that happening. I could see Amazon buying Fox Sports. Um, I could see Amazon buying Paramount, you know, slash CBS. Like, there's just so many different directions I can see all this going. And, um, I, and I think that's the ultimate destination. But in the meantime, what you really have is you have all these different entities, CBS Sports, Fox Sports, NBC Sports, and ESPN slash ABC 
that own all of these different uh, assets that they're basically renting. And uh, and I think those have a lot of value for the streaming services, where, whether it's Netflix, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Apple. Um, and ultimately, we're going to see consolidation in this space. And there may only end up being two or three streaming, maybe four streaming services before all is said and done. Almost like back in the day, you had ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox for people who are old enough to remember how you watch television before you had cable in the first place. Clay Travis with us. Clay, I know you uh, are, are friends with and uh, respect Stephen A. Smith. I've watched uh, the, your visit with him and his visit with you, uh, certainly. Um, what do you make of Stephen A. mentioning on Bustin' with the Boys that, well, he's black, McAfee's white. He made sure to point that out. And I immediately thought of the contract negotiations that are coming up for Stephen A. He wants to be the highest yeah. pay, which he told you. I mean, he's comparing himself to McAfee for good reason, right? I, I think that ultimately all that matters is green. Um, and, uh, and I think that's to a large extent what this is about. Stephen A. Smith thinks and believes, and I think there's evidence to support the fact that he is the most valuable uh, talent at ESPN. And if you're the most valuable talent, at any company, you expect to be the highest paid. Stephen A. is not the highest paid right now, um, and I suspect that he doesn't want to be a couple of million dollars higher paid than Pat McAfee. I bet he wants to make $10 million more than Pat McAfee. And, uh, and I think he believes that he deserves it and that it's justified and that that's really sort of the underlying aspect of all of this discussion. Um, and I would uh, equate it to when an NFL quarterback's contract comes up, everybody says, oh my God, can you believe that Kirk Cousins is the highest paid or that Dak Prescott's the highest paid or Jalen Hurts or Joe Burrow or you know Josh Allen and all of them become the highest paid every time their contracts come up and they want to advance the ball further down the field and, uh, and set a new paradigm for what a quarterback's worth. Um, and, uh, I suspect that that's what Stephen A is going to want to do just like, by the way, Tony Romo did it for mm -hmm. calling NFL games. And then Troy Aikman looks around and says, wait a minute, you know, I've been doing this longer than Romo. If he's worth 17 million, I'm worth 17 million. And then Tom Brady says, well, if Romo's worth 17 million, I'm worth 25, you know? And, uh, and I, you know, I want everybody in media to make as much money as possible. You know, when I see Joe Rogan make $250 million, uh, you know, I take a step back and I say, boy, I may not be Joe Rogan, uh, but you know, um, I, I, I know that, that if he's worth two fifty, you know, I'm worth a hundred um, or whatever the math is. And so uh, I, I think that's really what this is about. Clay, I look at the NBA's brand right now and coming off this all-star weekend, which was not a shining, it was not one shining moment like the NCAA tournament this weekend in Indianapolis for the NBA with ratings, with, people complaining about it. And I see a big problem. I know you've talked about, you know, woke politics interfering with it. It's certainly to me, an issue with the league. But the bigger issue that I see right now is this just banging your head against the wall to try to prove yourself right from NBA coaches and NBA players on either load management or what they believe in. And in doing so, they don't show that they want to entertain their audience at all. And that's the sense I got at All-Star Weekend. It's just this constant lack of focus on your own fans and actually putting an entertaining product on the court in the interest of the quote-unquote business decision, 
with a lot of players. Yes. So I, I think it's so interesting because um, ultimately every sport is in the business of entertaining fans. And if you're being smart from a business perspective, uh, all of your focus should be what can we do that entertains our, entertains our fans better. And if you go back in time um, and you think about Magic uh, and Larry and you think about Michael Jordan, um, that was the area of NBA fan. NBA action is fantastic. Remember, FAN was in caps and they made a big deal about whether it was Jack Nicholson or Spike Lee or whoever it was sitting courtside. They were like, man, we love our fans. They're amazing. And we're going to put on a show for you. Um, when you hear NBA fans talked about now, it's almost always because the players are complaining and they're demanding that a fan get kicked out for doing or saying something that they found to be inappropriate. It's the opposite of believing that your fans are fantastic. It's actually believing that your fans are awful. Um, and so if you start disliking fans, then you're losing your foundational value. That's part one. Part two, I, I think that so much of this comes down to, are you trying to put on your best effort to entertain people who are spending money to see you? And let me give you a story from the late 80s or early 90s. I don't even remember the year. I only got to see Michael Jordan play basketball once. He was a part of the Chicago Bulls, and he came and he played um, an exhibition basketball game at Memorial Gym in Nashville, Tennessee. And a huge portion of those kids were in that crowd, 15,000 people, whatever the, the gym seats, it was sold out. And Michael Jordan played a substantial amount of that exhibition basketball game because he understood that there were people there to see him and that we would talk, as I'm talking about now, for the next 20 or 30 years about the time we got to go see Michael Jordan perform. Um, I went when I was in, uh, that's an understanding of the legacy of your performance. I'm old enough. Uh, to remember, you know, you might only get to go see one NBA game, but I didn't have, you know, gobs of money growing up. I barely got to go see NBA games in person. Like a lot of people watching or listening to this right now, we would often sit at the very top of a stadium or an arena and you would try to sneak down, right? Like you would look to see like, yeah. Hey, that usher was old. They're not paying attention. There's a bunch of seats available there. And you would try to sneak down and you would hope that the people around you weren't going to show up and you'd even get a little nervous as people came in late to the game. You'd be like, Oh man, are, are we going to be in their seats? We're going to have to scoot over. We're going to have to move. You try not to make eye contact. If you weren't raised wealthy and you didn't get to sit in the high end seats, you tried to sneak down so you could be near the high end seat. And by the way, that's if you're fortunate enough to be able to go to a game. Uh, the reason why I bring that up is you are there. And if the star athlete doesn't play, you would be sick to your stomach. So as a player, if I were a player, I give credit to like the James Hardens of the world who play 82 games. And I think the Kobe's of the world before that, the Jordans of the world, the Larry's, the birds, they understood that they're entertainers. 
and that ultimately the business demands that you entertain the people who come to see you. And so the money has gotten so big that the players don't understand that they're entertainers and that the fans are paying their salaries. And so I think ultimately what you have with the NBA is a profound disconnect between the players and the fans who pay their salary. They make so much money that they actually look on the fans with contempt. As opposed, let me give you an example. Uh, to I, When we were in Vegas, uh, Laura and I went to go watch Adele. I like to sometimes go to big concert performances. I'm tone deaf. I'm not a big music guy. But I like to see the same thing with like a comedy performance. I like to see whether people respect their fans and whether they're going to show up and try to put on the best two hours and 15 minutes. I went to Adele. I might know half of Adele's songs. She was fabulous. Like when we left that performance, I said, I would go back tomorrow because she did such a damn good job of putting on a show. She respected her audience. She didn't mail it in. Um, Comedians, by the way, are great at this, Clay. Uh, Adam Sandler, who we all saw together, is a good example of this, of putting their best foot forward and being very appreciative of any audience that shows up to watch them. And by the way, I'm sure they feel crappy or their throat is a little bit not ideal or they've got a little bit of a fever. They don't, you don't show up for an Adam Sandler performance or an Adele performance and somebody else shows up to put on their show and they just say, hey, in the best interest of prolonging my career, I'm not going to show up and perform for you today. Uh, to me, and I get it, like Major League Baseball, it's 162 games. Maybe a guy sits out 10 or 12 games. doesn't sit out a whole series if he's healthy. Um, Jordan played 82 games. Magic played 82. Larry played 82. Kobe played 82. If they were healthy, Shaq played 82. The expectation was you went out and you put on a performance and you didn't let your stand-ins go perform for you. Uh, To me, being an adult and being an entertainer is about sitting down and doing your best. My job is not that important in the grand scheme of things. I've been doing daily radio for 15 years now, basically. Uh, Do you know how many times I have ever had a sick day? Zero. I have never missed a radio show because I was sick. That doesn't mean that I'm 100% every day. That doesn't mean that my voice works 100% every day. There has literally never been a time when I was uh, supposed to sit down in front of a mic that I wasn't there. And by the way, uh, I was the solo host of a morning radio show for six years. There was no backup plan if suddenly I didn't feel well or I didn't show up. They legitimately had no backup plan. I was the solo host. They never needed one. I was there every day. Now, look, COVID happens. There's no sports going on. I was there every day. I'm not saying I don't take vacations. I do. Uh, I, I try to go away. I have never not shown up because I didn't feel well to do my job. That's because, you know, look, my grandfather worked in a freaking coal mine. If he can show up and go to a coal mine uh, on an eighth grade education, I can sit down in front of a microphone and tell people what I think of the day's activity. Um, I, I would show up and play every day. I really think if I was in the NBA, if I wasn't injured, uh, because I would feel an obligation 
for all the kids who maybe get one Christmas present, and it's that they are going to come and get to watch me play in a game. I think Jordan felt that obligation. I think Larry did. I think Magic did. I think Kobe did. I think Shaq did. I think a lot of these, um, a lot of the current athletes do not. And I think that's ultimately the underlying reason why the NBA brand is, uh, is falling apart. Clay, uh, uh, Chad and I always felt like we were the backup plan. And how many times were we called on, Chad? Zero. 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 No times. We, Zero. Were, we were always ready, though, Clay. Yeah, we, we were right ready. there, ready and to I, go. Look, I'm probably now going to have a 108-degree fever, and I'm going to miss <laughs> yeah. the show for being sick now tomorrow because I've just bragged about that. But, I mean, I mean, look, I don't know. When did we start doing shows together with? Or 07? Yeah. Uh, uh, the Febu- February of 08. The start of 08 is when we started. So okay. 16 years. So you and I started – did our first show together in February of 08. It's now been 16 years. I have never missed a show of radio or TV um, that I was obligated to do because I was too sick to do it. It doesn't mean I've been hundred percent healthy. just means that I've shown up and gone to work. Um, And uh, I think a lot of the NBA players um, in the era of the eighties and nineties and the early two thousands had that same, because I feel like an obligation to my uh, audience and to my uh, employer to show up and put forth the best effort that I can. Um, and, uh, and by the way, I've got a sick kid home from school right now with me um, who is now saying he wants a snack, but I hope one day uh, he has feels that same obligation to go try to do his job as often as he can. Do you have time for uh, one more on Reggie Miller, or do you need to go get the snack? No, no, no. What you got for me? So if Reggie Miller really feels like Kenny Smith is sexist and uh, putting boundaries on Sabrina Unescu, uh, wouldn't that make the WNBA sexist based on the fact that they have a different three-point line and they use a different basketball? Yeah, I don't understand um, why it's not more of a discussion about the fact that they shoot with a different basketball. And you say, okay, why? I mean, the smaller the ball is, the easier it is to make a shot. So if you're going to compare and say, oh, this person made this many shots in a certain amount of time, or this person shoots a certain percentage, um, I think if you had a smaller, if I got to shoot with a smaller basketball, right. And I got to practice with it. If I shot with a uh, softball, I think I would make more shots over time than I would with a regular basketball, right? Just because it's way easier given the size of the rim to make a smaller ball than it is to make a bigger ball. And so I think that's a huge part of, uh, of the discussion in general. Um, You know, I think the three point shooting contest is fun. Uh, but I think one of the challenges that the NBA has run into is the best players won't do the, uh, the dunk contest um, because they're afraid of, of losing, I guess. Yeah. The best players used to do the dunk contest. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so I think, again, it ties in with the question you asked earlier. Uh, I think Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins, to use two examples back in the day, uh, felt an obligation to try to entertain uh, and they weren't worried, oh, my God, if I lose the dunk uh, contest, in some way my overall brand is going to be diminished. Um, I think they felt like, hey, I'm the faces of the league. We need to create the best possible entertainment options available for anybody. Um, and so uh, I think all of this ties in. I give credit to Steph Curry's of the world for showing up and putting you know, the argument of whether they're one of the best three-point shooters on the line Damian Lillard, everybody else. I actually think it's kind of an interesting question. Why are the best shooters willing to put themselves on the line, but the best dunkers aren't? Um, uh, and, and, you know, 
I mean, you basically have a guy who's won two straight dunk contests in Mac McClung, I think is his name, yes. who isn't even hardly really on an NBA roster. That's how far down the food chain uh, the NBA has to go now to get the best uh, dunk performers. Yep, and uh, uh, you know he's also white, which is unbelievable. I'm, I'm surprised that that hasn't been mentioned, Chad, uh, with all the discussion we've had. Back-to-back champion, dunk contest champion. It's like me on a trampoline using a dodgeball so I could dunk the ball easier. Yeah, uh, G League. My G League champion. Um, I know. I'm surprised you're right. Surprised we haven't heard that that's systemic racism. Yeah. Clay, always great, man. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch up soon. All right. Appreciate y'all. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thanks, Clay. It's a kid at home. The no fun, Chad. You, you can relate to that, right? Plenty of days Clay should not have done his show, but he showed up anyways. It's amazing. He pushes through. Tries to write every day as well. Plenty of days that Hutton and I probably should have not shown up and done the show, but we, we did anyways. Yeah. Some of them have taken place at Super Bowls you know, with Clay. I can't can't confirm. Uh, Days probably all three. Unlike, of us shouldn't have shown unlike up. Clay, uh, but we, we did. But we showed up and we pushed through. We had to uh, pass a COVID test every time. That's unlike right. Unlike Clay, you know, we That's had to right. send in a photo of the uh, thermometer. It was like uh, playing the roulette wheel every single week, trying to go on the road. How did we one never without come kick down with, with it. that? With that, you COVID know, we never test. did. Every time I'm like waiting to be held back on our college football road show because I'm thinking, I don't even feel bad, but I'm surely going to pop yeah, for COVID we, yeah, at some point. some of these bars. Never did. Amazing. Yeah. Surrounded by college Thank God kids. Thank test for anything else. <laughs> yeah. Surrounded by college kids. Coming up, uh, we'll discuss uh, much more of the 5-7 the model and the, the discussion that's going on right now in Dallas uh, with the, the, the powers that be, that, that be regarding the college football playoff, namely uh, the, the SEC and the Big Ten. Also, though, uh, well, just as we're praising UConn, just as we're discussing, you take UConn or the field to win the title. Well, here comes Creighton. And uh, Hurley was not having it with the Love Creighton it. fan uh, postgame. That's next here on Hot Mike.